Hello and welcome to Marysville Church of Christ podcast. This is Heritage, a podcast about telling our story through the stories that define us. My name is Bishop Darby, and I'll be your host today. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at characters, stories of our story of Christianity, people that are often overlooked, forgotten. But there's something special about stories, something that all stories have, or at least all good ones have, a villain. See, the way we like to tell stories is through conflict, right? Good versus evil, light versus darkness. You can't have Luke Skywalker without Darth Vader. You can't have Harry Potter without Voldemort. You can't have Tom without Jerry. See, we like to tell stories through this conflict. Because in conflict, you learn a lot about the story and the hero. In fact, in many cases, the villain is the best way to understand the hero. Understanding how Harry Potter responds in the face of Voldemort, or how Luke Skywalker stands against Darth Vader teaches us a lot not only about the story, but about the character of Luke or Harry. These iconic battles and scenes, these conflicts, describe for us so much about what we understand. In many ways, our story of Christianity has a villain. And I know what you're thinking, Satan, and that is true. But there's one villain dating all the way back to the first century that the church struggled to deal with for six to eight hundred years. A villain who kept reoccurring, a villain who, whose name became so enigmatic to the church, it became the thing that people were afraid of. It became the biggest rival and obstacle that the Christians had to overcome. And even to this day, his name, his name resonates in the modern church. And we still experience the influence of his actions today. This villain of the early church, this anti, uh, the antithesis of everything that the apostles were trying to accomplish, his name was Simon Magus. We actually get a glimpse of him in the Bible, in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 24. And in the story, Simon was a local magician who had a lot of people under him who, who really appreciated him and respected him, people who followed him every day to see what incredible feats he could accomplish. He would heal and do all sorts of miracles. But one day, Peter and the apostles came to town. And not only they, were they doing the magic that Simon could do, but he, they were able to give that power to others. Simon, being a power-hungry man, loving the status of in society that he has, thought that the Holy Spirit could be a good means to an end, right? That not only would he have and possess his magical powers, but that he could transfer it to others, create an entire cult following of people, of sorcerers, who could learn from and worship him. So he goes up to Peter, the apostle, and he tries to buy the power of the Holy Spirit from Peter. And Peter's response is, you and your money can go to hell. Belong in hell. One of the most harsh criticisms that an apostle ever gives in the New Testament. And it scared Simon. Simon said, pray that these things do not happen. But what's interesting is not the story that we get in the Bible, but what happened in history after this moment. See, this moment filled Simon Magus with such a frustration and anger that it began to pour out into his life. 
He realized that he was not as powerful as he thought he was, and he needed more. More control, more followers, more power, more respect. And so Simon began a pursuit, a pursuit that would lead him to be Simone de Sancto, Simon, the holy God. This man, Simon, decided that he was going to devote himself to his craft, to his arts. Justin Martyr, in his book, First Apologies, wrote that he believed Simon Magus was demonic and he had given him soul, his soul over to demons because his power was undeniable. He wasn't simply a, a trickster, a huckster, looking to, to flash illusions, but rather was legitimately powerful and able to do incredible things. His power led him into great heights, and soon he was so well-renowned through the region of Samaria that he began to travel, and in his travels he met a man named Felix, a proconsul. A Felix was on his way out in the political circles of Rome. He was losing popularity by the day and didn't have any kind of family or lineage to rely on and realized that he was going to be out of power soon. And he saw Simon and the miracles he could perform and brought him into his court, hoping that Simon could do a miracle for him, something to save his career. There was a king in the area named King Agrippa who had a, a sister named Drusilla. Drusilla was scheduled to be married to a man that she chose, actually, which is uncommon in that society a man of great power that she legitimately loved. But Josephus, a non-Christian Jewish history historian, writes that Simon did something to astonish, amaze, or manipulate her into falling in love with Felix. He cast his magic and caused Drusilla to fall for Felix, saving Felix's career, but in so doing also giving Simon a proconsular to use in his pocket. This political move actually tripled or quadrupled Simon's influence through the region. And now we see that not only was he traveling city to city within Samaria, but now he was traveling city to city throughout Greece. And along the way, there was a huge cult following that began to grow around him as people were amazed and astonished by the power that he had and the, the honeyness of his words. He was such an incredible orator. And one day when he was walking around, we see in Irenaeus' Against Heresies this, this story. Irenaeus, being an early church father, writes this. He says that Simon went to a city in Phoenicia called Tyre. And there he found a, a, a prostitute. Though that's not actually what she was. She would have been a sexual slave. And he redeemed her. He bought her. And began to carry her everywhere he went. And he began to tell this story. He said that at the beginning of time, he created her. That Simon was actually God. And from the beginning, this woman, her name was Helena, was an expression of his mind. The first thought he ever had. The mother of all things. That all the way back in the middle of nothing, Simon created Helena. And he gave Helena the ability to create. This woman, Helena, created all the angels and all the powers and all the principalities, but they became jealous of her because none of them were her. And so they, they one day captured her and enslaved her and made her a human woman. And through the millennia, she just spent time living as a human woman, dying and then being transferred to another woman's body. And on and on through history, 
we see Helena trapped. Helena, at least what Simon said, was the same Helen of Troy that caused the Great Trojan War. It was the same woman who caused so many problems and historical moments throughout history. She was one of the most influential women ever, and he, he kept saying that she just lived life after life after life until he, Simone Deo Sancto, Simon the God, returned to free. Free his daughter. Free the first of his creation from the bondage of humanity. This story was wildly popular, not only to uh, the Samaritans and not only to those of Jewish descent, but also to the Greeks. This, this story of, of Simon and Helena began to, to spread all the way through the Mediterranean. The Greeks actually created a cult in which they believed he was Zeus and she was Athena. And they worshipped them as gods. Simon the Magician and Helena the trapped goddess, creator of the world. In the Jewish sect, they began to believe that he was part of the Godhead, Simon Magus. Gnosticism was a religion that was formed out of Simonianism, the religion of Simon. Gnosticism, the same religion that John would write about at the end of the first century, write against and not only that, but it was the same religion that, that would cause so much trouble for so many Christian writers up until about the 6th century. And not only that, but we see cults of Simon Magus popping up all throughout history, even one as late as the 12th century, nearly 1,100 years later. This man, Simon Magus, completely changed history forever. In fact, the followers of Simon believe that he never died, that him and Helena just kept reincarnating every generation So we not only had one Simon, but we had dozens popping up throughout history. And every time they would pop up, they would use their magical powers and sorcery to dissuade others from Christ. Becoming a huge enemy of the church. Simone Diosancto, Simon, the Holy God. What an interesting story. Our first real rival. The church's first adversary. But what's incredible about this story is the way that it continues to shape us today. On the surface, the simplest answer, have you ever known anyone who's not allowed to celebrate Halloween? Perhaps never been allowed to watch the Harry Potter movies? Or whose parents were super strict against anything that involved witches or wizards? The reason why here, 2,000 years after the death of Christ, we still, there are still people who refuse to, to engage in such things or watch such things is actually because of Simon. Because in the Middle Ages, Simon became the reason why witches were burned at the stake. Everyone was so afraid that Simon Magus was returning or that his powers were somehow real. Simon Magus is the reason that even today Christians are very afraid of anything involving witchcraft or wizardry because our first ever adversary was, in fact, a wizard a sorcerer, according to the legends. But what this really teaches us is something different. What this really teaches us is why we as Christians today are so afraid of the mystical. See, Simon Magus was all about the mystical, emotions and spirituality. And he 
caused so many to fall away from the church because of those things. In response, the early church fathers advocated and pushed very hard that we as Christians should not rely on such things as spiritual experiences or emotions or mysticism, that we should rise above and focus on cold, hard logic and facts and reading the text and Bible studies and things like that. And although all those things are good, Christianity was designed to be both. Here we are 2,000 years later because of this man, Simon Magus, petrified to feel, petrified to have spiritual experiences, and petrified of the mystical. But what if we stop giving Simon Magus power? What if we stop making Simon out to be this powerful force? What if we as Christians decided to take back spirituality and emotion and mysticism? and incorporate it back into our Christian walk. To feel at one with the universe isn't a pagan idea, it's a Christian one. To find glory in the nature around us, to sit and just enjoy the presence of God, to feel him around you. These are not things that are intrinsically wrong or bad or pagan. No, they're things that were robbed of us by men like Simon Magus. And it's time we take them back. Simon Magus was a lot of things, but he's not an immortal being. He might have been the great sorcerer that changed the course of history. But let's not let him change history anymore. Our first and greatest rival, Simon Magus. It's time that we let his legacy leave. That we take back spirituality. We take back mysticism and emotion. And that we come out of a 2,000-year-old shadow of one guy who tried to buy his way into the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, that's all he is just part of our past, part of our heritage. I'll see you next week.